if there are a few people in the business who are key people, the business would actually suffer if anything happens to them. Then the business can run a protection policy against them. And if there's a critical illness and they were out of work for however long, they would get a lump sum into the business. You're listening to the Bookkeepers podcast sponsored by Go Proposal by Sage. I've been a student of value pricing for many years now. Understanding pricing has helped me to transform our firm's results and build a firm that can run without me. A key tool we use for pricing in our firm is Go Proposal. It allows us to build the price in person with the prospect and send out a proposal and engagement letter immediately, which has saved us hours from how we used to do it before. Not only that, but being able to create a standardized pricing system within the software means everyone on my team can use it freeing me up from being the bottleneck. If you're not using it already, I highly recommend you check it out. Just head to goproposal.com forward slash sign up for your free trial. Now over to the latest episode of the Bookkeepers podcast. Hi and welcome to the Bookkeepers podcast. I'm Zemi Whitman. I'm here with Joe Wood. And today we're joined by Tristan Johnson from McKenzie & Co. He's a financial consultant and Today, we want to have a chat about how working with a financial advisor can help you in your own business, but also can help you to have the right conversations with your client and help your clients run better businesses, which work for them as well. Hi, Tristan. How are you? Hello. I'm very well, thank you. Very nice to see you both. Tristan, do you want to start by telling us a little bit about your background and what you do at McKenzie & Co? So my original background is in IT. I came out of university went into IT and ended up working in most of the banks in the city. I was a contractor, so I had my own limited company doing all of that. So I understand how the whole contracting side of things work. And then after about 17 or 18 years, midlife crisis came along and I decided that I wanted to change careers. I was living in Bath at the time and commuting daily up to London and it's about two and a half hours door to door. So that was a bit of a killer. And then I wanted to find something which used my financial knowledge, um, but was actually a bit more helpful to people rather than big global corporates. So I, I looked around, I found the St. James Place Academy where they trained you up six months to become an advisor, joined that. And then after that, I, once I qualified, my wife, funnily enough, knew Ed McKenzie, who was a, an advisor himself from St. James Place. He wanted me to join him. So we then became McKenzie and Co. We did think of McKenzie and Johnson, but there will be other people joining. So it'll just be a never ending stream of names like a solicitor's practice if we go that way. So at the moment, I'm a director with Ed McKenzie and Co. We've got 10 other advisors in the practice, along with five support staff. And we look after approximately 2,000 clients as practice. So there's quite a lot of clients and families, including small businesses that we look after. Amazing. It sounds like a bit of a journey like many of our bookkeepers go on as well. Yeah. A bit more flexibility. They want to use their skill sets and but retrain and learn this, these new things and how they can help people better and service them more. So Tristan, for our bookkeepers that are listening, Maybe they've never really heard of, or they hear people mention, oh, I've got a financial advisor, or they hear the word IFA or financial consultant. What does the terminology sure. mean? What do you do day to day and how do you help people? Okay. So you can bundle all those terminologies together in many ways. And the reason we call ourselves financial consultants is because we try and think of ourselves as a consultant 
not just giving advice, but also being the hub of wheel and being able to then send our clients to other people, if it's will writing or any other thing which involves finances, we are there to help our clients with, even if we don't do it ourselves. So financial advisors, financial planners, we effectively look forward. So we're looking to the future with our clients. An accountant will look backwards and say, what's your figures for last year? Let me do your tax return. Bookkeepers look at today. And whereas financial advisor, we're looking 5, 10, 15, 20 years down into the future to create plans for our clients. So we, as a practice, do what's called goals-based planning. So most people's number one goal is to retire, but there can be other goals such as saving up for a wedding, saving up for a house, all those interim goals. But the main goal is to retire or to sell your business and be self-sufficient from that and get as tax efficient as possible. To understand those goals, we drill down with our clients. It's not just, I'd want to retire at 65, but what does that retirement look like? Are you going to really retire? Are you going to just spend your whole time on the golf course or are you going to continue doing a bit of work, change your job to something else, do a bit of volunteering. We try and get underneath the bonnet of what that goal is. And then from there, we can look at where a client is at the moment, what their earnings and earning potential is, and create a plan to get them from this point in time to that point in time with the most efficiency. So that's effectively what we do. And then as it's goals-based planning, we are then coaches to our clients. We then meet up with them either every six months or a year. And the way I look at that is it's a bit like having a personal trainer. So anyone could technically invest themselves. They could, they could get onto a platform such as Harkins Langston or Vanguard, do their own investments, just as they can join a gym by themselves. But you will most likely always have a better outcome if you have personal trainer or financial advisor. It's a little bit like we say to people, clients, about how your bookkeeping is going to be better if you work with a bookkeeper, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I love the goals thing. I've been through this process and I remember and worked with somebody in your team who made me think about my future and my retirement and I had to have a chat with my husband about what would we really like to do and then had to have all sorts of fancy graphs about this is what your retirement will look like and this is what will happen if you change things and do you know what? We don't do this stuff. It's really hard. It's, I didn't know. I didn't know what I wanted my retirement to look like. I've never had that conversation. No. Well, it's the longest holiday in your life. You probably spent more time planning your two week vacation this summer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and for our clients, uh, in that we're in our businesses because we have, there's something we want to achieve outside of business. And yeah. also, Clients are in that situation as well. They've started their business for a reason, whether it's a lot of our bookkeepers have started their practices to have more flexibility, to pull the shops in their own lives, those kind of things. But actually we need to think further ahead in terms of what the outcomes are that we're working for. And that's a new way of thinking. Yeah. So ultimately there's a goal for anything. Obviously number one goal is work balance, lifestyle, how to have your children pick up from school. And to be able to work around that is one of the main reasons why I changed career as well. So getting away from the nine to five is a very important thing, but then you want an end game to that. You want to find out what is this all for? Do I, how do I become most tax efficient during this journey? And mm -hmm. if you're hopefully the title of your, your company, six figure bookkeeping means that a lot of people can achieve the six figures for your tax 
60% anything over six figures until you get up to 120, 125,140 pounds. So that's 25,140 pounds is taxed at 60%. Okay. And that's let alone the fact that you lose a lot of your childcare ounces at that point as well. So in reality, if you've got children who are in, in 30 hours free childcare with, and you hit 100,000, you're losing that plus being taxed 60%. Pensions, any, anything over 100,000, everything's going to a pension, unless you actually really need that, that 35 or 40% left over. Yeah. And this is exactly why I can see this amazing triangle working with accountants, bookkeepers, and financial consultants to really support and hug our clients with their goals and things. And What's really yeah. think that needs to happen more is that bookkeepers need to understand since I've started working more closely with the accountants and I can have the conversations with my clients and say, remember every month, I'm like, remember your court tax bills coming up and it's going to be this. Have you saved this amount of money towards it or your self-assessment's coming up? I can, I understand what the accountants say and I can then make sure and hold my client accountable because we're in the day to day. So why not do the same? with a financial advisor and say, these are the goals that you set. But usually what happens is, and I think this is maybe something, you know, a bit newer that we can be de dealing with, is usually the individuals that run the business, the directors of the business will have these, in, these conversations with their financial advisors in maybe the comfort of their own home, treat it very as a personal thing and don't tell anyone about it. But imagine if they open up the conversation to their bookkeeper and say, this is what my goal is. This is what my business needs to do and achieve. And this is how much I need to be setting aside. The bookkeeper can really hold them accountable and say, and talk to the financial advisor and say, this is where we've got to, what can we do here? So I think this is new, but definitely, and like you do, Tristan, we've seen yourselves as like the consultant. I know that the bookkeepers we're talking to and becoming these six-figure bookkeepers is about having more of these deeper, meaningful conversations with our clients and not just processing the bookkeeping we're the ones that can see what's happening we're the ones that can say every single month put this in the savings pot put this in the savings pot send that off to your pension company so i think there's a real synergy here that can benefit everybody but firstly you need to go through this process yourself and understand the benefits for you personally by having that retirement plan and that vision and being asked those questions so do you, i would say the best place to start is yourself because you're a business owner in your own right, as a bookkeeper, practice owner, you've, yeah. you should go through this process first, make sure you've got all your ducks in a row, and then you'll be able to help your clients to do the same. Yeah, yeah. If you go through the process, then it's a lot easier to then get on to your clients. I don't know whether most of the bookkeepers are their own limited companies or are they sole traders? It's a mixture, I would say, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not just about pensions planning and stuff but it's also protecting your journey to wherever you're going because you've got to think about most people unfortunately will get a critical illness at some point before they retire that's just a sad fact and that can put you out of action for up to two years and you don't want to be dipping into your investments at the wrong time and just basically your whole plan goes to a pot so creating some kind of that goes along with it, making sure that's tax efficient. It's more tax efficient for a limited company, of course, but, and also seeing this in your clients as well. I think when we look at clients who've got multiple director businesses, where maybe they're two or three owners to the business, 
there's it's really useful if we then talk to the other directors because although we're doing the financial planning for one of those directors it does impact the other directors because there's there will be things that you need to put in place that most people who run a business don't put in place so things making sure their will is correct and that it's got business clause in the will you've got lasting power of attorney so possibly have your own power of attorney one thing a bookkeeper should really look at is what would happen if this person gets hit by a car and they're brain dead or they're in a coma for three months the business bank account needs their signature for everything how the hell do we deal with that so you've got business lasting power of attorney so things like that you've got shareholder protection which you need to think about if there's three people who own a company or two people who own a company their spouse or their partner might not want or know anything about that company yet they're going to inherit the company if anything happens to you so what you don't want to be going into business with someone's spouse necessarily so you the way to do that is to have shareholder protection where you effectively you protect their life and that will give you the money to buy them out of the business and again you've got to have some legal contracts around that called a cross-option agreement which then means that it's legally binding that when they get received that money they've got to then pay it out to the spouse the survivor these are serious these are like big serious conversations that we need to say to our client and we need to think about for our own businesses have we considered these particular things and all of the eventualities that could be happening i know we can't give financial advice on this podcast i know anyone who's listening in this is just information but what are the, so there are lots of things you covered there around like insurances, like critical illness insurances, and I guess like covers in terms of if you can work and things like that. What kind of thing, and I think that as well as thinking about our own businesses and what we could put through our own businesses to protect ourselves, our clients will have similar questions about their own businesses as well. So what are the kind yeah. of legitimate expenses that could go through a business to help a business owner with those kind of eventualities? Okay, the first one is obviously the pension is a business expense. So that goes directly from your company. If it's a limited company, it goes directly from the company to the pension pot. And then that's discounted against corporation tax. If you're self-employed sole trader, then it's called a net contribution. So you would put money in and then it gets grossed up when it hits the pension pot by 25%. So £80 becomes £100 in a pension pot. And then you declare at the end of the tax year that I put in that hundred pounds into a pension pot. Then you, if you're a high rate taxpayer, you get another 20 pounds off. On the insurance life cover side. So a lot of people have life cover to cover their mortgage. These only really work for limited companies, but if you want to just cover your life, there's, there's something called a relevant life plan, which the business will pay for. So it's an expense from the business. And then the money, when it gets paid out, gets put into a trust. So it gets paid out immediately and it's immediately accessible. You don't have to wait for probate for that money to come to you. It's just immediately accessible and in trust. A lot of people do that. If they, if they've either invested a lot in the business or they think the business is worth a lot, they will do an element of cover, which may cover the business, the value of the business plus their own mortgage. But again, talk to a financial advisor and they can structure that in such a way to work out what value you should protect yourself for. Some people just cover themselves in mortgage or they, they, you can think about how old your children are and do you want some legacy and that cover them for their education going forward. If anything was to happen to you, 
The next things are protections that the business covers itself for. So there's a thing called key person protection. So if there are a few people in the business who are key people that would suffer, the business would actually suffer if anything happens to them, then the business can run the protection policy against them. And if there's a critical illness and they were out of work for however long, they would get a lump sum into the business and then that's treated as an income of the business. So there is, if you then re-employ someone or get someone in on a part-time basis to cover that person, then that's fine. A lot of people also use it for their own critical illness. And then they, because it gets paid into the business, it's the usual, you can pay out in dividends to yourself just to cover your own income. But although the premiums are tax efficient, um, the payouts obviously go into the company. So the company will still pay tax on that. So any dividends that come out will have to pay corporations tax on it. What else are there? So in larger practices, you can get life, sorry, group life cover. So usually um, if there's three or more people, you can get a group policy. Now this can be really handy if a member of staff has possibly had a previous diagnosis such as cancer or depression or something like that, where it's difficult for them to get life cover. Because it's a group policy, the underwriting doesn't look at each individual. It's just done on a group basis. So you can do a group policy, which will cover people, even if they have had a previous critical illness, which is quite handy. And then you've got income protection, you've got executive income protection, which the company again pays for. It's a similar thing with critical illness. The company gets paid the money and then the company will then pay that money out to the whoever's ill. And again, it's done on, a, on that same tax, taxation basis. So all these policies are tax efficient in so far as premiums are deductible against tax, but not all the payouts are other than relevant life plan, which is completely tax-free from one end to the next. That's really That's interesting. very high level. <laughs> it's so interesting. And it just shows, Joe and I have both learned things, I'm sure, already in this 15 minutes we've been talking. And I think what this shows, just like we say all the time to your clients as a bookkeeper, you are the specialist. This just shows the power of working with a specialist who can very quickly say, have you got this? Have you got this? Have you thought about that? And I think we've got to remember that it isn't our job to know. It isn't our job to know the ins and outs of how all these things work. It's our job to have a conversation with the client and say, have you thought about these things? Or I've noticed you're paying for that. Is there anything else? And connecting them up with the right person who can support them. It's yeah. just knowing it's there and knowing to start yeah. a conversation. It'll be, it's great networking for your teams for your bookkeepers, for them to get to know financial advisors, whether it's their own financial advisor, obviously they can all come to us <laughs> and get to know us. And then it's a, it's a networking opportunity because we've got a lot of business owners who might need a bookkeeper. So there's synergy there. So obviously you as bookkeepers have to be careful as do accountants, they can't give advice. They've got to then refer to the, oh, go and speak to that chap over there, that lady over there, then, uh, but then that becomes a synergy that we'll have his with the hub of the wheel for our clients. We will have clients come to us say, no, anyone who can be a bookkeeper. And so there's networking opportunities there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I'm sure that there are many times and just like you know your skill set, there may, might be opportunities where you need to reach out to a bookkeeper and say, is this possible? Can we 
have they got the cash flow in the business? Because you're not looking at their accounting software on a day-to-day basis and understanding there might be opportunities for yeah. you to speak and say, it'd be really nice to have a bookkeeper that understands how this business is working so that we can have a chat about that. And that it really is that important to, to get and understand we don't be, have to be the person like you don't have to go and get this skill set and get these qualifications to be able to do that. You just need to be the facilitator of the conversation. And yeah. maybe we need to start saying, I'd really like to know how it goes because then we can start really making that those plans in your cash flow forecast or whatever it is. Or is there a target that you're, you want to reach profit targets so that we know what dividends you want to take or how much pension you want to be? It's about opening up those conversations and maybe reaching out to the financial advisor and so that with the, with the permission of the hand, what you want to know from the business, because most of the time the client doesn't know what's always, however much you explain it to them, they might not understand everything that's going on. And just looking out for those opportunities when, you know, it's that time when a client is doing really well and they have higher profits and it's impacting their tax to start saying, yeah. have you thought about getting some extra advice around here? Because there are ways that we can use this money in the business to set you up for your future, but we might need to get an expert involved here so that we do it in the right way. And I think that's such an extra string to our bow as bookkeepers to even be just putting our hands up and saying, this isn't my area, but let me find you somebody. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. It's, it's good to be that to person for any time. And it is for us. And then it, obviously the bookkeeper client relationship is a lot closer and it's more day to day, whereas we will see our clients about once every six months maybe but always be on the end of the phone call so it, it is good to have that kind of three-way relationship in many ways more so than with an accountant in many ways because an accountant just looks back historically yeah tristan how do we so how do you find the right financial advisor for you i'm really aware that i in my mind i have the term independent financial advisor but i know that not all financial advisors are independent i think you call yourselves yeah. restricted can you explain what that means and can you explain how we how do you just how do you find the right person who can support you and support you well, ultimately it's it's down to personality really and trust it's a massive trust thing the main difference between an IFA, independent financial advisor and restricted advice which we are, because we are under the umbrella of St. James's Place. So an IFA technically has access to the whole of the market, which means that they could, they have access to however many funds are on the particular platform they use. So all IFAs use a platform that's like a software thing where it holds their clients' money and they can do all the switches and stuff. It might be up to a thousand funds. Now, there's yet to be an IFA who knows every single one of those thousand funds. <laughs> so an IFA would restrict themselves. So they would, uh, would look at maybe having about 40 funds that they know when they think, okay, these are the 40 funds, and then we'll create a portfolio of those funds. What St. James's Place have done is they have gone to the whole of the markets, they've gone to the global market, and they've picked out who they think are the best fund managers in the world. And they ask them to run our funds for us or have a specific mandate, whether it's emerging markets or Asia or, or US markets. And they are then, those fund managers don't work for St. James's Place. They are just, they just run the fund for them. They then get monitored by St. James's Place 
and they're monitored quite closely. Every six months, they're interviewed, they're questioned about their decision making. They have a, even have a psychiatrist in the meeting just to read body language and do all that kind of weird, goofy stuff. And then if they lose faith in that fund manager, they will say, lost faith in you, you're out. And in the next day, the new fund manager is there because they've got ones waiting in the wings who can then run that. And that's not just based on performance. It might be based on other things, such as their personal circumstances. So there was a case of Neil Woodford, which some people might have heard of a few years ago, where his funds that he was running for, for the public um, had a lot of private equity in them. They're very illiquid funds. And then they weren't performing very well. So a lot of people were taking their money out, as well as a lot of institutional investors. And because it was in private equity, those funds then weren't able to pay out to the client, to the investors. St. James placed funds that he ran for us. He wasn't allowed to do any private equity and actually wasn't doing too badly, his fund. But because of all the pressure he was on and all those, those bad headlines, and everything, he was removed within a day and had a new funder, fund manager in running that fund. My dad was invested through with his fund and still hadn't got his money back. So he, he was invested via the public route or even the IFA route and weren't able to get the funds back. So there's a level of protection there and that's the funds belong to St. James's Place, but they're just run by these managers. So that's the main difference between restricted and whole of market in many ways. For us, because we're the largest wealth manager in the UK, a lot of people are desperate to get on our panel. So a lot of fund managers would love to run one of our funds. So they do discount their fees. However, that being said, the way our fees are structured is an all-in cost. So it includes the ongoing advice platform and the fund manager. So an IFA will often only quote their costs, which might be anything between half percent and one percent. And then there would be a platform charge and then a fund manager charge, which they obviously have to quote to you when you go to invest. But there's been a mis misnomer about how the charges work because people look at St. James's fund place funds and see it's 1.6%. And they think that fund manager only charges 0.3% over there. But then you've got to add in all the other charges. I think so it's one of these things where you've really got to speak to someone who knows what they're talking about and get the right yeah. support. You know, I think someone said in the comments, it's we've got to be so careful with any of these kind of decisions. And You've got to weigh up your options and have conversations with different people to decide yeah. what's going to be right. Yeah, definitely. it's worth talking to a few people and getting, it's don't, don't get bogged down with charges on either side, whether it's an IFA or SJP or us or anyone. The charges are, I know that obviously you don't want to be spending huge amounts on it, but they're secondary to the service. You've got to look at value rather than cost. So what value are you getting? What's all the additional stuff? Because it's not just... We don't just plonk you in a fund and some financial advisors, including IFAs. We don't just plonk you in a fund and that's it. And you're just getting that. We're looking at your taxation. We're trying to save you tax. We're trying to save other things. We're trying to protect your journey. There's so many things that we do, which you can't put a value on. You can't put a cost on, but they yeah. will save you a lot of money, whether it's uh, you're getting to a stage where you're going to sell your business and it's all the exit planning, which is involved all the tax benefits that we can provide, all the information we provide to save all the tax, that's not really quantifiable in that annual charge. 
No. And I suppose it's a bit like when people are looking at bookkeepers or looking at accountants, financial consultant, advisor, there's going to be a broad range. There's going to be your traditional ones that deal with things in a certain way. And I'm sure there's lots of financial consultants that don't really look as far in the future as you do or in such a way that's like really bringing it down to goals and dreams and like a bit more really backing out and because I think it's going to it's going to take quite a bit of a skill set like that what Zoe went through to open up your mind to think into the future when most of us are living day to day or like you say planning putting a lot more effort into planning our next summer holiday than we are planning the longest holiday ever of retirement and help and there's going to be some that are going to have the ability to really think about your business and how that plays a part in your retirement and in your, into future proofing. Whereas I'm sure others are just going to be asked, how much do you take? Rather than, okay, so can your business help you more? There's going to be so like everything. So you've got to find the right fit for you and yeah. your business. And like you say, there's differences between if you're a sole trader and if you're a limited company, and maybe you want to look at, look at, get different quotes from different people and how they're going to approach this because You've got to really have a connection with someone if they're going to be able to. I know Zoe talks about who she works with and like they, conversations they have, it's a skill set to open up somebody's mind yeah. to have yeah. the future. And it's very personal as well. People don't, especially in the UK, don't like to talk too much about finances. And a number of times you meet up with a couple and they haven't even spoken to each other about how they're, what their plans are. And you say, trying to do it's almost a bit of like marriage counseling sometimes in our jobs <laughs> really, yeah yeah so you do need to find someone that you trust someone probably i don't want to be ageist but someone who doesn't look like they're about to retire themselves very soon the other thing is financial advisors back in the 90s and noughties back anything anytime before 2013 when it became a professional job which actually is quite surprising it didn't actually become a profession until then Really, anything before 2013, they had a very bad name. IFAs be on a commission-based model. So they would get paid commission by pension companies like Scottish Widows or Viva to put money with them. But they had a conflict of interest in such that they were all, well, they could just find who's going to pay them the most commission and just put your pension money with them, not think about you yourself. So then changed in 2013 to become far more professional and a fees-based service. And you had to have to all the full qualifications, the FCA qualifications. So that then wiped out a huge number of financial advisors, just that whole process. I think it, it got rid of about 60 or 70% of financial advisors because they didn't want to go through that whole, the whole getting exams, being, having to do your CPD all the time being re-accredited and all that stuff. The thing St. James Place at that time is they never had that conflict of interest because they weren't going to Aviva or Scotch Widows and placing their clients' money. They were only ever placing the clients' money with St. James Place. So there was never any of that com- any conflict of interest. So in that regard, that's one of the differences as well. <laughs> it's but, yeah. really interesting because I think that for a lot of people, I mean, for a lot of people, um, the first encounter you might have with someone who you think of as financial advisor is like applying for your first mortgage. And even if I think about when I got my first mortgage, the 
obviously the landscape has changed in terms of professionalism and because yeah. this is a process that kind of process is something you go through so rarely like every few years at most you're if you're just like just thinking about that process and obviously there's so much more than this but for some people that might be their only real encounter that they've had with a financial advisor so I think we've just got to know the profession has changed it's not maybe how it was when you took out your first mortgage do your right. research speak to people like Joe and I can't recommend anything but do your research and speak to people and speak to other people, other business contacts that you have. Who are they working with? Who do they know? Who, who's done a great bit of work for them? And then you've got to decide for yourself and, and just make sure that you've checked out who it is you're going to be working with. Yeah. And like I say, it's always good to network. So trying to find someone who also could benefit you in introducing you to their clients as well. So that's quite a useful thing for that side of things. But yeah, ultimately, someone who's able to push you, who's able to be strict with you, because you want someone who's going to be meeting, you're going to be every year at least, and who's going to actually hold you to account, say, okay, look, this is your goal. You know, how are you? How are we doing with that goal? What do we need to sacrifice now? Do we need to do anything more to sacrifice now to achieve that goal? Or do we push your goal out? Which one do we want to do? Because if you really want to retire at 60, then you need to start putting more money away. Or you need to do this, that, and the other. So it's someone who can push you and who can have those honest conversations. And someone who you can bounce ideas off with as well. And someone who you'd be happy to introduce to your own clients as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Tristan, this has been a really interesting conversation and I know everyone who's listening is going to have lots to take away from this. I know that you and Ed McKenzie have a podcast together, don't you? <laughs> Wealth of Positivity yeah. podcast, which I've listened to. And yeah. I love how you have the positive spin on things because I think money is something that, like you said, people don't talk about very much. And actually your episodes are around like just your ideas on current themes. Like the, the latest one was about ESG investing and yeah. How tell us about the podcast and what your goal is through the podcast? Okay, it had, it's had a so we've got season one, if you want to call it that, which is six episodes. We then got to near near the end of the tax year when we go completely crazy at work, so we've had a hiatus, <laughs> and we're going to start recording in a week or so our next load of episodes. So the premise is that there's a lot of doom and gloom in the world and in the financial markets. And the psychology of it all is that we put more emphasis on losing things than on gaining things. So we're, as a species, we're more, we survived by being more fearful than being optimistic of what we could find. That's how we survived as a species. We still got similar things in our brains from way back then when we were on the Masai Mara or whatever. And so. All the news focuses on the negative. It's all focusing on the FTSE has dropped and lost 60 billion or whatever. But they never, whenever the FTSE goes up by 60 billion in a day, it's never really reported. There's no real joy to that. There's no, they don't say, however, it has risen 300% since 1990 or so they just focus on the negative. So our premise is that we're trying to just talk about the positive sides, what positive things can you do to try and get rid of all that static noise that's going on. Uh, we have to deal a lot with clients who are a little bit nervous, markets up and down. And just having your focus on the horizon, it's going to be sometimes a bit choppy 
along the way and just being able to coach people and making them understand what can you do in times like this. Actually, the market's dropped by 10% last year, so you've got 10% discount. So you should be getting into the market <laughs> if you haven't already. So looking at the positive side of things, this is a, these are long-term investments. Markets dropping should not worry you because you're getting in at a cheaper price point. If you look at the graph during COVID, when it just suddenly drops down, then the bounce up was massive, straight up gain. And there were a lot of people panicked and sold at that bottom of the market. And so our podcast is effectively about doing the positive things, doing things right. There's been one on 1% gains, which is a really interesting one, which is just all you have to do is up every year, up your contribution by 1%. And the difference that makes over a 20 year period is phenomenal. If you listen to the podcast, it's, if you just pay 500 pounds a month into a pension for the next 20 years, it will be a certain amount given a certain growth figure. But if you just increase that by once every year, so it's a small incremental thing that you can probably absorb, then it's almost three or four times the amount when you get to retirement. That's, that's the difference. So it's little tidbits like that. And it's also about investing early. How do you introduce your children to investing? How, how do you get that kind of discipline in, into it all? And just the, the good positive things you can do to help yourself through these depressing times. <laughs> oh, I love that. I think we all need that in our lives. And it gives us that's ideas cool. too, right? It's just like broadening what, we, what our knowledge base is so that we can have more informed conversations with our clients about and say, hey, did you hear there was this podcast about this? You might be interested in listening to it. So Yeah, um, we will have some more podcasts coming soon. So fear not. <laughs> thanks, Tristan. It's been really interesting to speak to you. How can people connect with you and find out more about what you do? Um, so, well, we've got a website, which is mckenzieandco.co.uk. We've got, you can probably find us on Facebook as well. And LinkedIn is probably more active than our Facebook. But yeah, then you can link into me. It's probably the best way of connecting. Just say that you saw me on this podcast. <laughs> and if, if anyone's still awake. <laughs> I think they are. Thanks ever so much, Tristan. Thanks to everyone who's joined us and shared your comments and asked your questions. We will see you next week for another episode of The Book. Please. Thank you very much for having me. Don't forget to join us every week for the Bookkeepers podcast. For topical bookkeeping chat, why not join our free Facebook community, Six Figure Bookkeepers Club, or visit us at sixfigurebookkeeper.com.